Well, good morning and welcome back to our summer series uh, here at New Beginnings Uniting Church. Today I'm joined by uh, the Reverend Dr. Cameron Eccleston. Um, now, Cameron, do you want to just tell everybody here at New Beginnings uh, what you do for work um, and a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I, I work for Synod or United Mission and Education, depending on which one's less offensive to you. And, and, and my role is really around mission helping presbyteries and helping congregations engage in the mission of God in more effective ways. And so I'm passionate about mission and I'm passionate about helping congregations to mission better. Fantastic. Cameron and I have actually worked closely together for actually a couple of years now, um, looking and helping the Georges River Presbytery develop their um, uh, mission and vision and strategy documents and are pushing into the new mission uh paradigm that the presbytery is having so you know we we know each other over that time so it's it's, it's great that Cameron has agreed to come and uh, bring in part of uh, our summer series uh, and today you'll be looking at Mark uh, chapter 3 verses 1 3 to 6 so we're, we're coming back and having a look at some of those earlier uh, chapters that we've gone through on our, our preaching uh, through Mark but we've also been wanting just to make that opportunity to dive a little bit more into those early uh, passages and to come from a different perspective from just our preacher, normal preaching team. So it's wonderful that you can be here today. Um, so let me ask you this first question. What, what drew you to this particular uh, passage? Yeah, so it, this is a really interesting passage. I mean, it's quite early on in Jesus' ministry. In, in chapter 3, and uh, in the first few chapters, we see the launch of uh, Jesus' public ministry. We see John the Baptist uh, leading the way, and then a, a number of different stories about Jesus healing people. The very famous story of, of the friends who, who bring the man who is crippled to Jesus, only to find a huge crowd around a house, and they dig a hole in the roof and lower him down, and Jesus heals that man. Uh, he, he's already ate with some sinners, and, and the Pharisees uh, don't look too kindly on that. And then uh, just prior to, to chapter 3, his disciples uh, are gathering grain uh, on the Sabbath, and again, the Pharisees aren't too keen on that practice. And so chapter 3 is really the first showdown between Jesus and the religious elite. And, uh, and, and so I love this passage for that reason. It gives us a real clear insight on who Jesus is and what's important to him and what's not so important to him, I guess. Fantastic. So how about we just uh, read together this passage? So it's from Mark uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through to 6, and I'm just reading from the New Living Translation. And it says this, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. 
And at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Yeah, very powerful passage. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a really powerful passage. Um, and it, it, And I love how it's so early on actually in the Gospel of Mark, uh, you know, that his, what Jesus has been doing has been actually challenging the religious authorities in, that, in the framework of where he's preaching and teaching and his ministry is challenging them because he's opening up to a different paradigm of what loving, God's love is all about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's drawing a line in the sand here, right? He, he actually knows what the Pharisees are thinking. And, and so he makes the, the man with the ha- crippled hand stand up and he forces the Pharisees to engage with him. And, of course, they won't engage with him. Instead, they, they run away and start plotting his demise. But you're absolutely right. This is really a time Jesus is drawing the line in the sand and, and, and saying to the religious elite, you're either with me or you're not. You know, you're either going to join what God's doing here or, or you're actually the enemies of God, which would have been a rude shock uh, for those Pharisees who, who, like you say, are the religious establishment. They're the, they're the, uh, the religious elite. Yeah, and I, I think it's actually interesting. You, you made the point about um, Jesus bringing the man with a deformed hand into the middle of the crowd. Now, this, this would probably be, there's a couple of things that would probably be quite um, unusual in that situation. Normally, um, those people would be very comfortable on the fringes. Um, and so he's been brought right into the centre and say, look, this is who you're talking about when you make these rules. So it's actually, you know, when they're making rules about what you can and can't do, um, he's saying, look here at, at this person. This is the person that your rules are affecting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And... and we, we, I think, as followers of Jesus, are called to be on those fringes, right, amongst the people who live on the fringes and, and, and to bring those people back into the community of God, to restore those people. And here in this passage, we see Jesus restores this man physically. But as you say, there's a nice dynamic at play here because not only has he restored him Physically, he's brought him back into community. He, he's brought him back in, into the spotlight. And as you say, in, in that uh, time and, and in that context, that man would have preferred to be on the fringes and live on the fringes. And here is Jesus bringing him back into community. And, and he's also brought him back into a space where he can earn his living differently now too. So he's, he's, he's been brought back into... Uh, a place where he can earn in society again uh, and not just um, having to beg in society, that kind of area. So there's a, there's a whole huge amount of dynamics around what he's just done. This is a very powerful passage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and further to that, it tells us what the good news about Jesus is, right? Like too often we boil the good news of Jesus down to our spiritual transformation. And, and that's hugely important, of course. You know, I, I, I want to sit here today and say, you know, we, we've all 
rebelled against God and, 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 and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be restored into relationship with God. But it's more than that. You know, the good news about Jesus is he restores us not only spiritually, but in this case, he, he restores us physically. He restores this man's livelihood, as you say. He restores this man's community. Uh, you know, Jesus is about transforming all of our life, not just our spiritual life. And... and- and I think that is one of one of the really big things about uh, who Jesus is is about the restoration of the whole person, the restoration of the community, restoration of the world. It's bringing everybody back to God, um, and and bringing wholeness. Um, I'm, Jesus said, "I came to bring you life and life in abundance or in its fullness," and and we see that is actually what he's doing for this man. He's bringing life in abundance and to the fullness. He's restored him back to that place. And that's that's what Jesus is all about. And that, and in essence, when that rolls over, that's actually what as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, and see he's, Jesus teaching his disciples at the moment, this is, this is the pattern behaviour we want to see you do as well. How do you restore somebody back into community? How do you restore somebody back into health? How do you restore somebody back into a spiritual health? Um, so there's all of these areas that we can restore people back into and we're a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you've already alluded to it in, in stark contrast, the religious leaders and their religious rules are excluding these very same people and pushing these people to the fringe. And Jesus is very much showing us here, no, 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 these people need to be included in our community and they need to be loved and to be restored. And, and, and you know, we, we too often still in churches exclude people because of our, our, our religious rules or our cultural norms. I mean, I think the cultural norms is a bigger one, right? We, we, we say you need to dress a certain way or act a certain way or speak a certain way to be a part of the community of God and yet Jesus is very clearly indicating to us here, his disciples, no, 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 we, we need to bring all people into the kingdom, whether they're, they're weak or strong, whether they're abled or disabled, whether they're, they're white or non-white, you know, they all belong in, in this community. And it's interesting you raise about discipleship because really I, I get asked all the time, you know, what do you do with discipleship? And Jesus has shown us the way, right? In, in first century um, Israel, uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples, be like me. That's what discipleship is for Jesus. Be like me. And so if, if you want to know how to disciple someone, we need to point them to Jesus and say, be like Jesus. Align yourself to Jesus. Oh, Amen. I mean, exactly. That's that. That is so true, Cameron. You know, and what we here at New Beginnings have been doing has been we have been talking about Jesus, and and actually our sermon whole sermon series around Mark's gospel is the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus Christ. So, actually looking at what Jesus has been saying, what he's been doing, and and what is his ultimate um, goal uh, in in terms of his ministry and what God God's intent is his ministry is. But he's been taking his disciples and and he's actually been showing them himself 
and this is what it means. And, and I, you know, as, as we talk through our passages here, uh, we, the first section is for the disciples to understand that he's the Messiah and to actually get that. They kind of got a notion of it, but they haven't quite got it. And he's challenging all their preconceptions and he's challenging the preconceptions here. He's also challenging the preconceptions of the religious authorities. Uh, I want to tell you a, a, a quick story. Um, it's actually about my grandparents. Um, my grandpa- I had a conversation with my grandma. She's passed away um, many years ago. But I had a conversation with her and she was, she was saying that um, religion has destroyed uh, the cultures where they came into. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And then to understand this, uh, my, my grandparents, um, my grandfather worked with a dairy corporation and, and spent numerous years in India and Pakistan and countries like that bringing um, good dairy practices into those countries um, and allowing those industries to happen. And so she'd seen firsthand how um, religious rules and cultural norms uh, can actually override uh, the culture of the day and what's around there. So it's actually really interesting that you bring that up because that's what you're seeing happening here, religious rules and cultural norms coming across, and we do that ourselves as well. Uh, the conversation I had was that we need to be careful not to just and she was saying it, it's the Christian thing. And I go, well, actually, it's it's all of the baggage that is the culture that you're bringing and Christianity is part of that. Um, so it wasn't just one and we often want to lump it on one, but it's actually all of those things that come together. Um, so it's the political, it's the, the, the cultural ways that you behaved, it's the, the way you dressed um, and it's, you know, and, and it's the religion. It's when religion's wrapped in... In politics, you have issues, and I, and I think you were going to make a point about that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I have uh, plenty of Christian friends in the US. A part of my doctorate, I, I spent some time in the US, and I travelled around eight different uh, churches from different denominations, and, and 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 some some churches would be aligned uh, with the Democratic Party, but for the most part, those churches are aligned. Uh, with the Republican Party, and and just just as in this passage where we we see when when the Pharisees are confronted by Jesus, they head off and and, and join the Herodians or, or the supporters of Herod, you know, which which wasn't a religious group. They they were a political group, and and their whole purpose of being was to keep Herod in power and, and to appease the Roman. Empire, so they could stay in power in, in in Jerusalem and in Israel, and we see the Pharisees, who are the religious elite, right? They're the ones who who are meant to be the guardians of God's message and the the good news that God brings. They they join with this political group, the Herodians, to 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 bring about the demise of Jesus, and it just struck me. In a lot of ways, we're seeing that in U.S. politics at the moment. We we see a man. Trump, who for all purposes is the polar opposite of who Jesus is. He is selfish, he's self-indulgent, he's self-absorbed, he, he, he belittles his political opponents, he mocks the weak. Now, he, here we see Jesus restoring uh, a man with, with a, a shriveled hand back into community. Trump mocks the weak, he, he, he treats women with sexual contempt. You know, he, he's everything 
that is opposed to what I read of Jesus, and yet 80% of white evangelicals voted for him. And, and you start to unpack that, and, and, and you, you start to realise, and I know there's various reasons why they're doing that. I mean, I'm in conversations with, with my Republican friends, but, but it just strikes me that that's the danger of being aligned political to one party, you, you, you have an inability to see what's right in front of you, that this, this president of the United States who they voted for four years ago is actually the polar opposite of the person we claim to follow, Jesus, and, 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 yet, and yet they vote for him. And they vote for him because, as you say, of their religious um, laws or their religious beliefs or, or their cultural norms, they, they just can't contemplate uh, a, a different type of president, I guess. Yeah. It, it, I, I've got a couple of things I want to, I like, have a conversation with you about around this. But, like, just thinking about um, the Pharisees and the Herodians here, um, I think when, you, when we look at it, the Pharisees realised they didn't have the power to do what they wanted to do, but they knew this group could influence and make that happen. So they went and sought the people in power to get the the change they wanted to see happen, which was uh, the plot to kill Jesus, basically. Um, so they realised that they didn't have that kind of power to do that, um, but this group did. And so they aligned themselves with that because it, they, they sought their own, but it was to keep their own political personal power. So it, it kind of, the question that came up, and I thought, I, I think this is as good a time as any to actually kind of explore it, is that is it right that churches actually align themselves with political parties or should we be apolitical um, in terms of that? Um, because I know within the Uniting Church there's quite a big push for a political party um, and, and, and I'm not even going to mention what that is. People can figure it out. Um, but there are a lot of ministers that uh, join political parties because they want to, you know, um, create influence um, within society that they can't do in the church. Um, so should we, you know, if we're taking these guys, we're looking at the Bible here and seeing what that's saying there, should we be political or should we not, you know? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I think there's two questions there. The first one is, should we be political? Should we engage in politics at all? And I think the answer is yes on that. Jesus clearly engages in politics, you know. He challenges the people in power constantly throughout the scriptures. So I would say, yes, be politically aware, be politically active and, and, and get involved. Should we align ourselves to a particular political party. Well, I'm not going to tell people, no, not don't do that. But I think there is a danger in doing that. And the danger is that we can become so aligned to that political party that we become blind to, to the aspects of that party that don't align with Jesus and to such an extent that we would vote in a Trump. I know that is the state's but I see that sort of politics sneaking into the, the, the church in Australia as well. And we've got to be really, really careful about that. I, I'm, I'm glad at the start of this, Simon, you, you said um, you wanted a different perspective because I, I, I think I bring a, quite a different perspective on this. I think the danger in the church is seeking power, right? 
power of any any kind, and and that's where the day, that's where the church went wrong, I believe, in in the third and fourth century. It started to gain political power. It started to be at the center of society and influence. And, and when I look at Jesus and how he operated, and when I look at the early church and how they operate, they always operated on the fringe of society. And that gave them the ability to be that prophetic voice into our society and say, you know, this is not right, you know. One of the reasons why the early church grew so quickly, according to Rodney Stark, a, a early church historian, is because of looking after widows and looking after orphan children and and uh, and, and doing those things on the fringes that uh, Roman society wasn't doing, looking after those who were weak, looking after those who were poor, looking after those who were marginalised. And, and, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, when Constantine came to power, that's when Christianity came to power. But historians are really rethinking that now and, and recognising that Christianity had already swept through the Roman Empire and, and Constantine was just an emperor that realised the political winds of change had already happened and he'd better align himself with this new religion religion, Christianity, if you wanted to stay in power. And at that moment, we lost our way. We, we, we saw political power as something to uh, aspire to. And, and, and sadly, we compromised some of the teachings of Jesus. And, and I, I just see that all the time. So yes, be political, you know, be aware of what's going on, be aware of uh, politics, be active in those politics. Uh, demand the kind of changes you believe uh, that Jesus would want to see, but align ourselves to a political party. Again, I won't say no, but it's a very dangerous thing to do. Uh, Not to say that there haven't been Christians who have done that well. I think there have been Christians that have aligned themselves, have stood for parliament both in state and federal elections who are Christians, who have been able to, to maintain their faith and their own personal beliefs, even in the context of being aligned to a political party. So it can be done. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to, to be honest, there, there are quite a number of Christians that I know that work within the political uh, sphere that bring their Christian um, faith to bear into the policies. Um, so, it, it, you know, I, I'm not trying to advocate against or whatever, but it's just, it's a question that comes up, you know. Yeah. You see here in in Mark's gospel with the Pharisees and the Herodians an alignment with a political yeah. um, party basically yeah. uh, in order to do evil. Absolutely. And, and not only an alignment with a political party, a political party that stands against what they would believe in, in, in terms of restoring Israel and, and the rule of God. This, this political party is there to entrench the power of Rome. And yet, because, as you say, they want to do evil, they're, they're aligning themselves with, with a powerful ally that stands opposed to what they believe. And that's the danger. That is the danger of, of political power, you know. It, it's to impose our own views and align ourselves with people that hold completely different views to our own in order to push forward our own agenda. I think there's a real danger there. Yes, Christians have been able to do that. They have been able to align themselves to certain political parties and be that Christian voice. But there is a real danger there in doing that. It's really important for us to, I think if we're working within that space, is to have people who you can actually um, have honest 
spiritual conversations with and say, um, you know, the, and, and kind of give you a spiritual checkup, more or less, in the process. You know, is what I'm doing the right thing? You know, um, that's a really important aspect that I think if we bring that into that kind of sphere, that that's the case. And, and see, this that was my grandmother's argument was that the religion had aligned themselves with the power and that had destroyed the culture of the people in the countries that they came into, um, colonisation. Um, and so, and, and on so many aspects, the answer is yes, that is true. But on other aspects, it was about the power um, and the, the seeking of resources and the seeking of money, seeking of land, um, and we still see that happen um, over time, in in all in all countries, um, people just still kind of seeking that. Um, was there any other comments you wanted to make out of Mark's gospel here? Well, just just to touch on what you've just said, uh, l- let me make it very very clear: if you're going to align yourself with Jesus, you're going to al- align yourself with the powerless, the voiceless, the marginalised, the poor, the weak, because that's who Jesus aligns himself with. Right? You, you're not going to align yourself to the powerful and the and the wealthy and, and those with influence. I, again, I do understand why people do that, but that's not the life of Jesus. It, it, it's interesting because one of the things is when you align yourself in that way. And if you see what Jesus did, he aligned himself, but that didn't mean that he didn't have influence. And, and influence was very large. Like he, he was he was teaching four or 5,000 people, um, all men, sorry, um, and so many more than that, just the way the scripture records it. Um, so, you see, there's great influence there, but it's actually knowing where his ministry is being um, held and run that means it doesn't mean that I've got to do something small. I've got to do something that is, you know, niche and off to the side. It actually just means that you need to see where power is being abused and where you can actually stand up and make a difference for Jesus' voice in that space. Absolutely. Again, I'm not saying don't get politically active and I'm not saying don't have that voice. I'm just saying if we are going to, if we are going to be followers of Jesus, our, our voice is, is to those who are weak and marginalised and have no voice. And, and just, again, ask me if there's any other comments about this passage, just going back to what we talked about originally. I, I think our religious rules and our cultural norms often do exclude those very people that Jesus would have us invite up into his community, into his kingdom, uh, those weak and marginalised and, and, and those who are on the fringes. And, and we often limit God, right? Like in this passage, <laughs> they're, they're, the Pharisees are trying to limit what Jesus does. Like you can't do that on a Sabbath, you know. It's their rules, their cultural norms. You cannot heal on a Sabbath. You cannot do good on a Sabbath. And Jesus is like, well, is it better for me to do good or evil on this day, you know? Like it's, it's their religious rules and, and their cultural norms. And so often it's our own um, cultural norms and, and religious rules that restrict what God does. And, and we, we, have, we have family down on the Mornington Peninsula, south of Melbourne, and, and when we go down there, we often take the ferry across Port Phillip Bay to a place called Queenscliff. And in Queenscliff, there's an old Methodist church right next door to the Uniting Church. So clearly when... Um, the the union happened, the Uniting Church figured we don't need both churches. So they actually sold this Methodist church off. And, and this Methodist church, when we were last down there, was a cafe, a restaurant. Uh, 
a wedding reception place. And, and my wife and I were sitting in this beautiful old Methodist church uh, drinking our coffee. And, and in the front of the menu, it, it has the history of the church. And it says like, in 1879, this church was consecrated, which just basically means it was set aside for God's work. Uh, but in 1982, it was deconsecrated. And, and, and I just found that funny. I'm like, so we, we, we consecrate a space and we say, okay, God, you can now operate in this space. And then in 1982, we're like, no, we're going to deconsecrate this space. You're no longer allowed to work in this space. And as I sat there and I read this menu and this sun was just streaming through these beautiful stained glass windows. I just sat there and I thought, if you can't feel the presence of God in this place today, you're not looking very hard. And yet, so often that's what we do with God. We we, we draw these parameters around him and, and say, you can't operate here. And so when God operates on the margins, even operates on the margins without his church, we say, oh, that couldn't possibly be the work of God. Or, or when he's working uh, with, with in in amongst with through John Smith with the bikey games, we go, oh, that can't be the work of God, you know. Or or when he's working in the LBGTQI community, oh, that can't possibly be the work of God because so often our religious rules and our our cultural norms dictate to us, oh, God can't work in that space. You know, and it's just sad that in this passage we see that the Pharisees do that to Jesus, but it's even sadder that we as his church some 2,000 years later are still doing exactly the same thing, putting parameters around how God can operate in this world and, and, and putting parameters around his mission and how his good news gets spread, you know. Yeah, later on the disciples actually in, in Mark's gospel, uh, you know, when... Uh, Jesus was up on the the mountain of transfiguration, and uh, with the other disciples, they didn't go up. Uh, they having an encounter with uh, uh, other people casting out demons in in the name of Jesus. We told them to stop it because they weren't with us. So it's that you can even see it back in there. That kind of yeah. whole nature about um, just what is ours and what we think is right because it's we've created the boundaries for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the thing about boundaries is that it makes us safe. Uh, it makes us comfortable because we know what who's in, who's out. Um, God keeps on breaking that open, um, keeps on saying, I have come and I've come for all of the world, um, not just for the elite, not just for the few. It's the, you know, um, the 99 may, sheep may be saved, uh, but I'm going to look for that one. Um, it's that whole kind of, I just want to do it countercultural. I'm going to do everything that is unusual and, and, and I need to, you know, God is there pursuing you um, to come back. It, it's a challenge, right? It's a real challenge. It, it's, it's, it's hard. Like I sit here as do you and, and I am privileged, you know. I'm a male, I'm middle-aged, I'm well-educated, I'm white. I've got everything going for me and to have that challenged and, and, and I guess the first time that was challenged for me was to have someone say to me, are you more like Jesus or are you more like the Pharisees? And I was like, I'm more like the Pharisees. I am more like the Pharisees. And if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I need to be more like him. That's a hard message, of course, uh, to, to, to actually get into the, a book like Mark and to read what Jesus done 
when when he was on earth and to say to yourself, I need to be more like him. That is a tough message. Yeah, it, it, and, and that's actually where, as a church, we are really striving to be. It's not about... Um, Going, what would what would Jesus do? You know, WWJ kind of things. Um, it's actually you actually need to jump back into the Bible. You actually need to read the Gospels again, and actually understand who Jesus is and and what he stood for, um, what, what he said, uh, how he how he behaved. And it's when you see those things, you actually go, well, actually, is my life aligned into that? Am I being a disciple in space? Um, am I doing these things? Yeah, I think WWJD is appropriate. Like we, we use that with teenagers, right? You're in the car alone with your girlfriend. What would Jesus do, right? And Or, or you know, oh, you're at a party and people offer you drugs. What would Jesus do? <laughs> but for people our age, it's like you've got a whole lot of wealth. What would Jesus do? I mean, we don't ask that question of, I, I don't ask that question of myself, you know. You, you've got a wonderful house and a family and you've you got this, all these wonderful resources. What would Jesus do with that? We don't ask those questions anymore. We leave that to the teenagers and, and perhaps the teenagers in the 90s when, when we used to have wristbands and all kinds of things. Uh, to, You're to showing your age. I'm now. showing my age. <laughs> but, but the point is, yeah, align ourselves with Jesus, not only when we're teenagers but when we're in different stages of life, ask ourselves, what, what was Jesus on about and how do we align ourselves to him? Fantastic. Well, Cameron, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing with us today. It's been a wonderful time to actually delve into the Bible and, and, and pull out areas that we, we just don't look at normally on a Sunday in a sermon kind of space. And it's been wonderful to do that with you. Uh, I'm just going to pray now um, and we'll... Just go on our way. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. Let's just pray together. Our gracious, loving God, we give you thanks today for for your word. We give you thanks that uh, we can look at Mark's gospel again in fresh eyes. Lord, we just ask that you open that up for us and challenge us. Challenge our lives to know whether we are aligning ourselves with, with power and politics or we are aligning ourselves with you, O oh God, and what Jesus is all about. Oh Lord, we just pray this and we pray this blessing upon uh, us today and we just ask that you be with us in this space, that you be with us in this week, that you continue to lead us and guide us and draw us. And Lord, open our eyes up to your leading where we need to be and what we need to be doing, the people we need to be with. Lord, we pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, thank you, Cameron, for thank joining you. us. It's been wonderful and I trust that uh, you will have a wonderful week, that you'll be challenged this week and that you'll go about doing the work and the will of Jesus Christ in your life. Amen.